Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, episode 300, I got to tell you, I got a lot of stuff to go over here, so let me get right to it. First of all, one of the things, of course, that's continuing to occur is the sexual degradation and information that's consistently coming out regarding American K-12 schools and the sexual grooming that's taking place, and rightfully so. It's about time that it finally hit the mainstream. This has been going on since the beginning of, I would say, certainly the 60s. The 1960s is when a lot of this kicked into gear. And as I've said on this podcast before, we were warned about this in numerous books dating back decades. The Leipzig Connection specifically brings all of this up and says, buckle up, watch out. The social-emotional learning, the, uh, the, the sexual grooming, the, the race theory, all of it, the critical theory, all of it is going to make its way to the forefront of American education, and it's only a matter of time. And now here it all is. It's 2022, and everything is right out in, right out in front here. We have endless individuals who claim to be teachers, who are dressed top to bottom in rainbow colors with their painted fingernails as males, and they are openly gay and discussing again how they can't wait to tell their students, but now because of all of these quote-unquote laws that that are being made or proposed at the state level, that now they can't do those things that they used to do. I can't I cannot stress enough how jacked up all of this is. And like I've said previously, they're moths to the flame. The light comes on and the cockroaches come out and they start scattering. We're seeing the entire environment for what it is right now. And it's undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. So I've got a couple of audio clips here I want to play. I tossed these up on Gab, but I want to play them here on the podcast to give you a better idea as to, again, what is going on in the minds of some of these teachers. Again, teachers, quote unquote, <laughs> they're, not, they're not really educators. They are sexual predators. They are groomers. They are brainwashed. And they believe that what they are doing is important. And this is again, you know, this again is what happens when individuals work for a government entity and believe that they are in fact the parent of of other people's children. It, the, the it could not be further from the truth is essentially what I'm saying here. So, just briefly, as sort of an overall point, the health education curriculum that exists throughout the nation in specific states and, of course localized school districts is changing and it's becoming more and more radical as you might expect it's focusing more on quote unquote relationships and again the sexualization and normalization of perversion within said curriculum for those who have been listening to this podcast know that i used to teach health education at the middle school level This, of course, was something that I never taught. I I never got into those subjects specifically. I focused on the nuclear family. I focused on how the nuclear family, in particular, statistically speaking, is the most successful, well-rounded, and healthiest. End of story. Always has been, 
always will be. That's the way that it is. Parents who come, who are the biological parents of children, and they remain married, to get more specific, even if they are the same race of individuals, they are more likely to stay married, stay away from crime. Crime is less likely to happen to one another and their own families. All of these are facts. They are statistical facts. The other, th- the, that, of course, stretches over to the children themselves. The children are more likely to be in functional relationships when their biological parents are of the same set or of the same race and remain married. They tend to be more successful, more healthy. They take care of themselves. They're more educated. But clearly, with all of this curriculum, what we are seeing is the complete destruction of not just the nuclear family, but now the direct targeting of children. Again, this is not a new thing. None of this is new. But me personally, the mask wearing would have been the last straw for me. The moment that someone would have said, well, we all need to go home because of this quote-unquote virus, which does not exist. It's a poison, but it's not a virus. There's no such thing as viruses. And then, of course, all of this curriculum rollout, the masks would have been the last straw for me. I would have quit. I would have left the profession. No chance would I have remained. There's absolutely no chance. This, however, I mean, if, if for some strange reason that would have been the case, that I would have stuck around through the mask thing, which wouldn't have been the case, I would not have, I would have not allowed that to occur with myself, number one, never wore a mask, never have, never will. Same thing with the students. Same thing with any students that I would have come in contact with. Not at all would I have allowed them to wear a mask within my classroom or anywhere else. Any child I would have walked past in a school building, I would have told them to take off their mask. Uh, I, would have, I would have dedicated the entire time within my classroom to educating them about how we are being tricked and how the mask wearing is complete nonsense in XYZ. If for some reason I would have remained within the profession throughout all of that, this also would have been the last straw. The business of all of this curriculum rolling down about the sexualization of children. No way. Absolutely no way. Again, the war now is completely on all of these, all of these schools. Every single school now is being attacked. And it, again, it, it really does not matter. You know, a, a person cannot say to themselves, well, this isn't happening in our school. And Our teachers and administrators are completely against it. Mm, Someone in your building, somewhere, is supporting all of this grooming and all of this, we need to teach kids about gay this and gay that. We need to teach kids about, you know, exploring their sexuality and whatever else. Someone in your school building is is supporting this. Some administrator somewhere is, is supporting this. Even in, the, again, the districts or, or buildings where people think that it is not happening. I assure you, it is. So I understand the power of rationalization. People will rationalize their, their participation in this uh, and, and swear to themselves that there's no chance that a district official in the district where they are is, is supporting any of this. I assure you, the opposite is true. 
So let me play two pieces of audio to give you a taste of, again, just these, these moths to the flame here and these cockroaches. Um, the first is from a Kansas teacher who is explaining the importance of kindergartners and how kindergartners need to be able to discuss this information because his rationalization, as I said earlier, the powers of rationalization are amazing among the brain dead. But this individual is specifically bringing up how, well, if it's on social media and students see it on social media, then it must be okay. It must be 100% okay for teachers to teach this to children because, well, it's already out there and they can already see it and hear it. So give this a listen. Ready when they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it. Right? So there is no, you know, what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it. They haven't been exposed to it, then yeah, you can give them time to develop. But once they're exposed to it, and social media is gonna do it, right? I know some kindergartners in the school with cell phones. Mine had a cell phone. And so they they get access to information. They can they can learn quickly. The world is teaching them faster than probably you are. So um, the extent to which we can have conversations with parents around um, how do we want to um, approach talking about LGBTQ+, because there are students as early as kindergarten who are identifying. Um, as uh, non-gender conforming, uh, non-binary, um, that are uh, transgender. Um, and so because they're in our school, they're in our classrooms, then that becomes a responsibility on the adults to say, okay, um, I have a student who identifies this way, and so it's my responsibility to make sure the classroom invite, is inviting to, to them. Uh, just like it is to someone who might be um, Asian, Laotian, um, Korean, um, African, um, whatever the identity is. What he said at the very beginning is key. The very first sentence out of his mouth summarizes the entire thing. When they've been exposed to it, they are ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. That's government right there. Government control over your child. They're ready to learn about it, whether you think the parent, whether you think they're ready or not. That's it. That summarizes everything that's happening here. Government's the parent, not you. Government wants your child. They can do a better job than you can. The gall and, the, and just the brass to look a person in the face and tell them that as a teacher or an educator that they know more than the parent. This again brings up a major point that I've made consistently, which is teacher education programs are to blame for this wavelength of thought. Even Glenn Beck had a guy on, and I'm not a Glenn Beck fan. I'm not a fan of the Blaze, even though I read some stories from, from their website from time to time. But even Glenn Beck had a guy on who said, look, teacher education programs are, are the unspoken avenue of all of this. 
Now, who do you know who has been saying that since the very start? It's the teacher education programs that are the grooming base, the absolute hub for all of this wavelength of thought. They're starting it. They're pushing it. They're making it mandatory within their own levels of quote-unquote instruction. And then, of course, they are producing this kind of product that ends up becoming a teacher and saying exactly what that guy just said. I'm going to give you another example and play one more piece of audio here. This again comes from Twitter and uh, Libs of TikTok, which is an excellent Twitter account, also pushes out a lot of this stuff and exposes a lot of this. But here's an example of an individual talking about the Florida bill and the parental right bill regarding Florida. Again, this, this, kind of, this kind of parental right bill, even though it doesn't go far enough and it's not strict enough, and I'll get into that a little bit later here, but it's, it's again, it's exposing these cockroaches for who they are and what they actually think. Not to mention, uh, if you had a pair of eyes on this and you saw this individual, you, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. This particular individual is male, clearly gay wearing a skin-tight, multi-rainbowed, uh, leotard-looking thing. I don't even know what it is. And then, uh, you know, the painted fingernails and what have you. If I sent a child to public school and this was the individual who was introduced as their teacher, ladies and gentlemen, at face value, there should be serious questions about you leaving your children with this individual. Without a doubt, as I've said on Gab a thousand times, if you wouldn't invite them over to your home to babysit your child in your environment, why would you send your child to their environment to essentially babysit them for a full day, half a day, whatever it may be, depending on the grade level? It's beyond alarming, but give this one a listen. Section if you wanted to pause and screenshot. Because of Florida's choice to keep things vague, so there's a big umbrella of which to discriminate. They also included straight people. So these are the straight things that you won't be able to talk about in Florida schools when this is enacted. Gender signs need to be taken off all of the bathroom doors. You cannot line up kids in girl rows and boy rows. You cannot talk about traditional families or a family with a man and a woman because that's heterosexuality. And I don't want y'all to talk about that in school. You won't be able to celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day in school. You won't be able to celebrate Christmas in school. I don't know what orientation the Immaculate Conception was, but I don't want my child subjected to that. What other examples of heterosexuality prevalent in K through third grade can y'all come up with? Let me know in the comments. This is what happens when people stop teaching their subject, and the only thing that they start teaching is their feelings and personal lives. That's, that's about it. They're upset because they can no longer teach about their personal lives. Think of the time that has been wasted within all of these classrooms where the teachers show up and they just start telling their students about what they did over the weekend and who they went out on a date with and what their husbands and wives did. I mean, what a waste of instructional time. And I know what the argument is. It's so pathetic. I mean, I, <laughs> I know what the argument is. We have to build relationships. We have to build communities. We have to build this and that in the classroom. No, you don't. No, you don't. 
All you have to do is teach your subject, shut your mouth and go home. That helps. That helps. Because what you just heard out of this person's mouth is the exact opposite. What you heard is that they are upset because now they can't teach their feelings and their relationships. That's not why you're supposed to become a school teacher. That's not the point. Again, this is a, this is a groomer. This person is a sexual groomer of children. That's what it is. I frankly have met individuals like this and worked with individuals like this when I was a school teacher. One stands out to me personally. Yes, there were actual groomers, actual sexual predators. Even those people aside for just a second, there are, there are less blatant sexual groomers. And one of them I'm going to mention here very quickly. I could name her name, and it's a female. She was straight. I'll leave her name out of it. Hell, I'll mention it. Her name is Danielle Deese. That was her name. I don't know if that's her last name now. If some schmuck decided to marry her, I feel terrible for him. But she was, she was awful. Uh, rumor has it she became an, administra an administrator long after I left. Uh, and she was certainly being groomed to be an administrator. And, and why not? She, she had no problem never saying the word no. She fit the bill perfectly. She didn't have a brain in her skull. And, it was, uh, and she was awful. She was a science teacher. She was a sixth grade science teacher. And students would come into my classroom and complain about her constantly. They would tell me that she would spend the first 20 minutes of class talking about what she did with a boyfriend over the weekend, how they went to the club, they got drunk, so, so don't, don't speak too loudly because she's a little hungover. She doesn't have the tolerance for it, and she just, she just can't listen to the loud noises right now because she had too much alcohol over the weekend. Now, think of the word grooming. What is she grooming her students for when, when she shares that with her students? Which, of course, is completely inappropriate. But what is she grooming them for? Is it, is it underage sex? Maybe. It's certainly drinking. It's certainly becoming intoxicated. It's certainly, well, you have to have a boyfriend or you have to have a girlfriend and you have to go out and you have to do this and you have to do that. And she's doing this with sixth graders. But she wasn't bright enough to understand that that's not her job. She thought that her job was to be liked by people, was to receive attention, was to use, she thought that her job was to use children, minors, as a backdrop for her personal life. And that she would somehow look like the cool kid in school as an adult, as a legal adult in front of minors. And again, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you've heard me bring this up before. One of the biggest problems among American K-12 school teachers and even professors is that they go back to school, some of them, and it's, I would say it's certainly a large percentage. Is it all? Of course not. But it's a very large percentage. They go back to be school teachers to relive the old days and to basically portray themselves as being the cool kid in front of their own students even though they're an adult. They're not a kid, they're an adult. But they go back to basically say, well, now I'm in charge. 
Now I'm the now I'm the cool kid in school. Even though I wasn't previously, I am now. So now I get to portray myself in front of these naive minors in any way that I see fit. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. That in itself is its own grooming method. So keep in mind, the grooming is not just sexual. It is cultural. It is related to private lives and alcohol use and going out and partying and, and, and doing all of these other things that children have no need to be hearing about. Again, I was a health education teacher. If I brought it up, I brought it up because it was a part of the actual curriculum. If I brought it up, I brought it up in the context of illegality, of being inappropriate in a number of different scenarios and being dangerous and illegal. So, so when I brought it up, I mean, I had the right to bring it up in, in, you know, within that appropriate instructional context. A sixth grade female science teacher walking in smelling like booze from the weekend, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a serious problem. That had nothing to do with her curriculum. It had nothing to, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with, with a kindergarten's curriculum, for God's sakes. But this is the environment. That, you know, this is the environment. It's, it's showing itself in, in ways that it's never been shown before. And to ignore it, you have got to have your head completely in the sand on it. Now, regarding all of these other states, I might add, that are tossing all of these bills and laws together, Georgia is doing it. Uh, I believe, I want to say Connecticut, maybe, if I'm not mistaken, which seems odd that they would do it because they're pretty hard left, at least as far as I know. I could have that wrong. Um, Ohio is attempting to do it, and they're attempting to do it again, not just with the sex-related stuff, but with the the critical theory stuff. These bills and laws do not go far enough. They don't go far enough. Many of them have these age restrictions now. Well, you can't teach this kind of stuff to kindergartners through third grade or kindergartners through fourth grade or pre-K through fourth grade. That doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, a dump truck of sexual perverse curriculum is going to drop on these students' heads like a ton of bricks, as I've said on Gab, the, the moment that they enter fifth grade, the moment that, that the bill just runs out because of the age restriction and the age limit. Well, now they're in fifth grade. Let's hit them with all the LGBT alphabet soup that we possibly can, and then we'll perverse them from there on out. I mean, these sexual groomers want them when they are in preschool. We know that. But they'll be fine, 100% fine, with getting them when they are in fifth or sixth grade. That's good enough. That's good enough for them. Again, they want them when they're as young as humanly possible. But if they get them a little later, they don't care about that. That'll be fine for them. That's why you have to pull your children out of these environments. That's why people. Have, have got to quit these environments. Uh, you know, there is this consistent, um, this consistent wavelength of thought, and I agree with it, and you've heard me say it. I even said it earlier in this episode. There are countless individuals, again, who are walking away from countless professions where people's rights are being trampled on. Law enforcement, for example. You know, people say to themselves, look, you... 
individuals are being unlawfully arrested by police officers. What is the best way for police officers to take a stand against all of this illegality? And the answer consistently is quit. Walk away from your job. Just quit. Find something else to do as quickly as you can and walk away from the profession as a police officer. Nurses are doing the same thing. They're leaving because they are done with all of it. Again, I understand that it's remarkably difficult. I get it. An individual has education degrees. They have all of this education experience, myself included. It's, it's what we know. It's, it's what's been built around us, and it's what we've walked into, and it's, and it's what we, what, what, I mean, it's just what we've done as a profession. But walking away, as I did, is liberating. It's absolutely liberating. And the more that people walk away, you're going to be sending a message that this can no longer be tolerated, that these environments are disgusting. And again, the more that people walk away from these environments, the better. You know, I hear about all of these uh, parental groups as well. I came across one the other day, and unfortunately it slipped my mind, but it was something like roaring for moms or moms roar or lion, you know, lions for moms or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering the name, but it's, it's, a, it's a mother advocacy group for parental rights regarding their children within schools. Again, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good message. I understand that it's a worthwhile fight. The funny part is, is that the very mothers that are doing this could be homeschooling their children. They could be, but they're choosing not to. They're choosing instead to take up this fight to battle the public school system, which frankly, and again, I don't mean to, um, I don't mean to step on toes here, but it's a losing battle because that's like trying to pour buckets of water on Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're going, all right, well, just, you know, we just need another bucket here, just another bucket. Somebody turn on the hose over there and, uh, you know, just, just get the hose going and, and we'll be able to save this place. I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's burning to the ground and there's absolutely no saving it, which is why we have to protect children from these environments. So all I, you know, I think of all of that effort and all of that organization that, that, that these groups engage in. And, and these organizations and these giant websites that they set up, you know, and that we're, we're, we're holding them accountable and, and we're doing this and we're doing that. You can do that as the day is long. But there are states that are implementing laws that are pushing all of this sexual perversion on people. And like I just said, the ones that are claiming, the laws that are claiming to protect children aren't going far enough. They're really not protecting children. I mean, people get excited when they hear about them and go, oh, yay, parental rights bills. They're not, you know, not going to teach our kids about sexual perversion anymore. No, no, that's not what the bills say. That's not how they're designed. If something comes down from the state level regarding a law that pushes the critical theory and renames it and gives it another label or XYZ, you can do whatever you want at the local level. If it's law, it has to be taught. If it's law, it has to be implemented. Again, you can fill a school board to the brim 
with all of the conservative mothers who are standing up for children's rights and and doing everything that they're doing. And they're saying, we're never going to let this into our school system. If that's the case, then the state government is going to come after those those school board members, regardless of, uh, again, of their affiliation or how many rights they claim to be standing up for, whether they're conservative or not. I mean, state is, the state's going to start withholding the money if the individuals aren't implementing what the state says they have to implement. The biggest problem is the state departments of education and the politicians that run these states. Again, the pseudo-conservatives are equally as bad, if not worse, than, than the Democrats themselves. They're all groomers. They all are in on this. They're all taking kickbacks. They're all taking money from the very organizations that are allowing all of this to happen within the, within the school systems at the local level. The only answer, again, is to let the whole thing burn to the ground. Save your children and your, and your money and your time from engaging in these environments and let them crumble based on the weight of their own lies. Again, you've heard me say that a million times. It's just becoming more evident to me and hopefully to others that that's the answer. That's the answer. We, we, we can keep propping it up and saying that, that the stick that we're propping it up with is, is a healthy stick and a stick of liberty and freedom and this, that, and the other. No, let it fall. Let it fall to the ground. Yeah, good people are going to lose their jobs. I feel bad for those people. I really do. But maybe those individuals and all of those organizations need to reorganize and they need to find something else to do. And they need to go somewhere else. And who knows? I, I know it's easier said than done, but the business of setting up your own schools, pooling your resources, things of that nature, that's the way forward here. It's the way forward. It's the way to getting back to a more sound principle, more morals, more values. Heaven forbid God be at the center of all of it. I mean, that should be the case. God should be at the center of all of this. And he certainly is right now. Look what he's showing us. <laughs> Isn't it great? It's great. Look what he's showing us. He's showing us how bad these environments are and what's going on. And speaking of that, and a perfect example, Listen to this one. Listen to this audio clip from a news report about a Western Pennsylvania school district, the Aliquippa Junior and Senior High School, and what the school officials are doing regarding the lunches and the food that are being brought to the school by students themselves. And then again, ask yourself what kind of a place this actually sounds like. Does it sound like a school? Or does it sound like another kind of environment that I have compared schools to? Starting Monday, the Aliquippa Junior Senior High is limiting what snack students can bring to school. The district posted the new rule on Facebook, which now has hundreds of comments and shares. It says due to excessive amounts of snacks being brought in, each student will only be permitted to have a bag of chips up to four ounces and one closed drink up to 20 ounces. Some parents tell me that's reasonable. You know, I've seen some of the snacks that the kids are bringing when I drop my daughter off at school and I'm like, you know, I'm asking my daughter, like, are they setting up a small store or something? Like, why are they carrying, like, variety boxes of chips and, you know, two liters of, of soda into uh, 
to school. However, other parents online are furious because the rule also applies for students who pack their lunch, and lunches will be searched. I guess I kind of see their view with, um, you know, as far as lunch goes, that they're monitoring um a school board member tells me she thinks this is in place for safety reasons. After seeing the news last night and seeing that there are other districts in the area that are dealing with children bringing and items into the school, you know, South Allegheny just had six students that had edibles. You know, we don't need to put our children at risk. We have to make sure that they're safe within our buildings. The superintendent, Philip Wood, said some students are selling or trading snacks, which is causing arguments and distractions, so they want to minimize that. We just kind of have to look at the bigger picture of the situation and understand what's reasonable. You know, I don't think any child needs to bring in family-sized bags of chips for for the day. The children aren't going to starve because they do have free meals breakfast and lunch. And a diabetic child, honestly, and I'm a diabetic myself, they're not going to be bringing in family-sized bags of chips for themselves because they can't eat that stuff. If you said prison, you win a prize because it's prison. It's either prison or a work camp. It's something. Monitoring the quantity of food that a child brings to school that they want to eat or do something else with. Now, I agree. The selling of food, very prison-like. Smuggling drugs into, <laughs> into school in your lunch. Uh, yes, very prison-like, is it not? Again, if, if, if the job of the administrator has been relegated to checking the quantity of food that is brought into a school building, you know that the entire business is gone and cannot be saved. That's their job now. The job of the administrator is you're only allowed this many ounces of chips. And so we have to steal, which is what they're doing. They're stealing property, food that was paid for by the family of the child. And then they are keeping it for themselves only to ultimately destroy it and throw it away. Seems like a crime, does it not? But again, it's prison. And they're confiscating things that are not theirs. Now, yes, they should clearly take drugs, but potato chips, soda, give me a break. I, uh, it, it, it is exhausting, is it not? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And again, bless the, uh, bless the heart of the school board member who you heard talking there. She's not exactly the brain trust of the operation. That's putting it mildly. But none of these people are. They're not thinking. They are reactionary by design. They're designed to be reactionary. No one is thinking two-dimensionally, three-dimensionally, four-dimensionally, and if you say seven dimensions deep in thought, they're going to have a nosebleed and fall to the ground. They are operating on a one-dimensional basis. They see something, they react. They, they make a policy in relation to that thing that they've just reacted to, and then they say, well, this is now the rule. And then they see something else, and then they react. And then they make that a policy, and so on and so on and so on. It's so dangerous. <laughs>
I have a smile on my face right now. It's just so dangerous. It can't get any more dangerous. So there is that. Here, here's something else too, and this is sort of the last uh, K-12 education-related thing I, I wanted to bring up. This was tossed to me by a family member, and I'm glad that they threw this my way because this is a perfect example of another form of quote-unquote education that's remarkably dangerous, in, in particular in the way that they sell it to people. There are these companies, and they exist all over the place, that are funded by both domestic and foreign entities. And essentially what they do is, and what they bill themselves as, and I'm just going to kind of cut to the quick here, but what they do is, is they promise something for a cost, of course. They take money from individuals. You show up, you hang out with them, you do the things that they want you to do, they teach you particular things, and then you leave. It's not a school per se, it's more of a training camp. And people need to be very uh, aware and leery of these training camps because they are remarkably dangerous, incredibly radical. They almost always lean hard left. And then they will teach you quote unquote skills with the idea of ultimately using those skills against America itself. Uh, again, this particular group is called the Creative Circus, and it's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And let me read where it says, again, they're vague with a lot of, a lot of what they're doing here, but it's essentially a training program to allegedly teach people how to market particular things and use technology and utilize technology particular ways in XYZ. Uh, I don't know if that means to uh, basically train these individuals to become influencers or internet influencers, quote unquote, but it's, it's beyond bizarre. And again, the imagery is beyond bizarre. It clearly leans hard left, more in the gender bender uh, avenue, to say the least. There's a lot of imagery of Che Guevara in some of these pictures that they're showing of their actual buildings and classrooms. Uh, a bunch of hippie-looking kids sitting on tables, you know, being the cool kids. It's it's strange. Video production looks like it's it's part of um, it's part of what they what they do here, along with. TV production or you know movie making and whatever else. I'm not sure why anybody would would pay for something like this. It seems like something that they could just do on their own time by just watching a couple of YouTube videos on how to do particular things. But again, this is the this is the the not creative mind, but this is the collective mind. The collective mind needs a group like this to associate with. So it says this. It says our creative campus the building. It says, conveniently located in the heart of Atlanta, Georgia, between the neighborhoods of Midtown and Buckhead, our building is a colorful converted warehouse. The walls are covered in student work, nurturing a creative and collaborative environment. That entire first two sentences in one paragraph screams leftist, does it not? It then says, in addition to being a dog-friendly environment with a doggy daycare across the street, the school has an outdoor deck and picnic tables in front of the building. Parking is on our own property with some covered spaces available. 
There is a ventilated spray mount area, a student cafeteria with booths, refrigerator, microwave, and vending machines, and seven restrooms. Uh, concepting, concepting, is that a word? Concepting and lounging areas are located throughout the school. We have a small library stocked with latest industry publications. Oh, I bet I know what books are in that library. I can take a guess. It says there are officially two gallery exhibit areas, but really the entire school is used as a showcase for student and graduate work. So here's why I'm bringing this up. And I encourage you to take a look at this. It's called, again, creativecircus.edu. Apparently, this has direct ties to China and Chinese benefactors and donors. Um, it, it is beyond suspicious. It's one of those schools where you, you, you don't graduate with a degree that matters, but you're paying into something that is allegedly giving you training. There's not a single conservative person that attends this particular uh, school, quote-unquote, or workshop, or whatever it is. There's no way. Again, they are on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, apparently. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're creating. They're, they're learning how to use technology to create marketing tools and marketing designs and whatever else. There is some uh, pedophile imagery that's mixed in with some of these pictures that they're showing, whether they know that or not. Like I said, there's Che Guevara on, on at least one particular slide that I can see. It's beyond suspicious. So my take on it is this. These, these kinds of supplementary education avenues have always existed. You should stay away from them, in my professional opinion. Again, homeschooling students are teaching themselves at home these things that these people are, are having to pay to learn how to do within, again, these environments where they can walk around barefoot and sit on couches with their dogs and drink coffee as they learn how to glue things on stuff. I, you know, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like a colossal waste of time. But what I do know is that apparently they are no longer taking uh, enrollment. It says this on their front page. It says, the bad news. Effective April 4th, 2022, Creative Circus has entered into a teach-out at the campus. We are no longer accepting enrollments into any program at this time. Transcri transcript requests for former students can be made at parchment.com. So they're either failing, have failed, and no longer exist, which again is a, a typical leftist program because they all fail, uh, because they're not business-minded. They are not interested in the truth and uh, any kind of a bottom line. They think that they can just bring in money by conning people. And that's what this is. It's a giant con job. So be very careful about programs like this. Stay away from them. If they are not accredited, if they are not um, you know, any, any kind of a real degree, then all it is is a quote-unquote experience or internship, and you're probably wasting your, you're certainly wasting your money, and it seems like it based on their entire model here that, uh, that you're wasting your time. So there you go. Okay, on to some jab-related stuff here. I received an email from 
the very group that publishes dissertations. And it's the same group that I published my dissertation with, and everybody pretty much publishes their dissertations with these, uh, with this particular group, and it's called ProQuest. And this wasn't like something that was unique to me in that they specifically sent it to me like they wanted me to actually participate in this. This is just one of those giant emails that they send to endless individuals. But here's what it said. It said, join us for a live panel conversation inspired by the documentary, The First Wave, and challenge your assumptions about the lived experiences inside hospitals during the first four months of the pandemic. Hear from the film's director, the frontline doctor from the film, and the dean of the faculty, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, on how we can inspire you to lead the way to a healthier, more equitable future. And apparently, there is this documentary that is titled The First Wave. A must-see, miraculous, masterfully crafted. Uh, unlikely. This is a 100% propaganda film painting the hospital workers as being lifesavers during the fake pandemic. So this reminded me of something. First of all, of course, it's, it's worth noting there was that Dr. Fauci documentary that came out a while back trying to paint him as some hero when in fact he's a psychopathic murderer. And then, of course, there's this. This, again, is in the exact same vein and equally as awful. But at the very least, I just wanted to mention that because, again, apparently that's coming out at the end of this month on uh, April 28th is at least the date of this particular seminar. And again, you know, the enemy is in control of propaganda. They have to paint the picture a particular way. They have to do whatever they can to criticize anybody who says otherwise. And if somebody like me showed up, or any of us who actually know what, what's going on throughout this entire time, there's no way that they would actually allow us to ask questions or criticize anything or X, Y, Z. There's just no way. They would immediately boo us and shout us down. And I mean, this entire thing is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films and a bunch of these other organizations, including ProQuest themselves. So just keeping everybody uh, abreast of that particular subject there that uh, the enemy's not going to quit and they've got to continue to have propaganda films out there to justify their own actions as best they can. So there you go. And I'm sure you can get online and, and type in the first wave on YouTube and watch their dramatic trailer. It's, uh, it's rather embarrassing, actually. Because I'm sure they leave out all of the TikTok nurses and all of the empty hospitals and all of that stuff. And I'm sure they leave out all of the paperwork saying that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and D3 and vitamin C and all of that stuff actually worked. I'm sure they leave all of that out. Again, it's a lot of dramatic uh, video of nurses standing around a bed as they're killing their own patients. It's, it's pretty terrible. So in contrast to that, here's a little bit more truth from Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and she was on the Hag Hagman Report, rather. And this is about a three-and-a-half-minute clip about what the shots do to people. Again, if you've listened to this podcast, you know what's going on. You, you, uh, you're, you're fully aware. And it's a nice little package summary of what's actually going on inside of the body regarding the jabs. So give this one a listen. I mean, we've only been using these shots for not even 18 months yet. 
but it feels like 18 years. And so the science and the research is still coming out on the um, what's happening with the disaster things that are happening inside of the body from this messenger RNA that doesn't degrade. We also know that the proteins in the body get incorporated into the organ system. That's the spike proteins. That's what causes the multi-organ system failure. We know the spike proteins can get incorporated into your DNA. And when it gets incorporated into your DNA, it starts to break down that particular cell. And when that cell starts to rep, that abnormal cell starts to replicate, that's what cancer cells are about. Under normal circumstances, our body has backup repair mechanisms, enzyme systems that would go in and either destroy that cell, take out that that abnormally developing cell, that cancer cell, take it out, make it just degrade it, make it go away, or would go in and repair the damage. Well, the spike protein goes into the DNA and blocks the door and doesn't allow the repair mechanism enzymes in to start that repair process. So that's why we're seeing this huge explosion of cancers of cancers from these shots. Either they are, um, either they people that have been in remission. And now the, they're, they've taken the lid off of the remission and they are exploding like within a matter of weeks to months. They've gone from being in remission to stage four metastatic cancer that is not responsive to anything. Or we're seeing all these new unusual blood cancers or sex organ re, uh, cancers like endometrial cancers and, and testicular cancers just exploding from this because of what the spike protein does. The spike protein sensitizes the B cells and the dendritic cells, which means your immune system is always now susceptible to stimulation from the spike proteins. And worst of all, what these cells do is they destroy your toll-like receptors, spelled T-O-L-L-L-I-K-E, toll-like receptors, toll-like receptors 3, 7, and 8 which are your innate, God-given, God-born immune system. And the German data says that these, um, these toll-like receptors have been annihilated, completely wiped out, and, not, and they won't come back. And that's why we've been hearing all of these reports about people getting AIDS from these shots. Well, there's HIV strips inside of the protein in the synthetically made one, and they, in the synthetically made virus, and also because these spike proteins destroy your innate immune system irreversibly, and they shut down your CD8 cells. And, you know, under normal circumstances, if you want to get tested for, for AIDS, what the doctor orders is a blood test to evaluate the count of the, the number of CD8 versus CD4 cells. And if your CD8 cells are really, really, really low, those are the ones that protect you from infection, they will say it looks like you have AIDS. And so this is what they're, they're talking about, how people can get AIDS from these shots because it destroys their immune system and shuts it down, shuts down the toll-like receptors in the CD8 cells. And it appears as though that's irreparable damage and it will never come back based on German data. She's 100% right. Again, the information is out there. People are ignoring it. I'm, I'm going to continue to cover it here on this podcast with regularity because it has to be covered. It just impacts every single facet of the human race, every profession. Uh, you know, every demographic, every location, it does not matter. Uh, th this is one of those things that touches all of us without a doubt. So I want to continue here and just mention one last thing before I, 
I, I sign off and shoot everybody to a very interesting video link in a little documentary series that I highly recommend people watch because talk about waking people up from the matrix regarding medicine and the lies of virology and all of it. I have a video series here that, I, that I'm going to link in the description below, and I highly recommend you check it out. My, my personal sort of uh, plea, so to speak, it's certainly a little homework exercise if you're interested, but listen to the number of individuals that consistently still use, and again, even the people in the quote-unquote alternative media who are reporting the truth, uh, just pay attention to how often they continuously use the words virus, pandemic, and COVID, C-O-V-I-D. I've written about this again at length on my substack. I've mentioned it numerous times here on the podcast. Viruses are not real. There has been no pandemic. And COVID, C-O-V-I-D, does not stand for coronavirus disease or coronavirus whatever. It is an acronym. And again, the listeners of this know what it stands for. So just continuously listen to, again, the people that are using these words, virus, pandemic, COVID, even the word vaccine. The exact opposite is true with all of these things. They do not exist. These are not vaccines. This is not a virus. There is certainly a pandemic, but it is not of coronavirus. It is worse than that. Uh, it is the shots, clearly, which again are poison. And COVID is, stands for Certificate of Vaccination Identification. It does not stand for SARS-CoV-2. Uh, here's the video link and, and documentary series I highly recommend you check out. And this is relatively recent. This is, it's on BitChute, and it's titled The Viral Delusion. There are at least three episodes. The first episode is over two hours long. The second episode is just over an hour long. And the third episode is just over an hour long. Um, again, I'll link the description below to the first episode. And then on that same BitChute channel, you'll be able to see the other episodes of this particular series. It is awesome. It's absolutely amazing. It gives an entire history lesson on the lie of virology it dives into all of it. The, the, uh, the people who put it together are specifically talking with the most based medical doctors who know that virology is a lie. They've examined all of the literature. Uh, I could listen to these guys and, and, and these people talk all day long about all of this because they're 100% accurate. And again, this will red pill you big time on the fraud of medicine and the fraud of doctors and the entire profession and the virology lie, because again, they have to keep the lie going in order to trick people, but they blow the lid off of all of it and it's fantastic. So again, it's on BitChute, it's titled The Viral Delusion, and I will link it in the description below. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. 300 episodes in, hopefully 300 more to go and many more. Uh, might have to sip on a little Trump sparkling wine this weekend to celebrate. But thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.